I'm Alexandra Kreis and you're listening to Outer Travel in a Journey. In my own search for self-understanding, I have met people from all walks of life. I bring to you a taste of these encounters. Welcome to Outer Travel in a Journey. On my show today, I'm welcoming my dear friend, colleague, and student, Anna Rakova. Hi, Anna. Hi. <laughs> Did I manage the name okay? Yes. Germans are the only one who can say it properly. T yeah. As if it was with TZ. TZ at the end, because Anna was born in Zagreb and currently well, in Istria, but it doesn't matter. In around, yes, okay. You were born in Italy, yes? No, Istria, which is close to Italy. Istria. Yeah, of course, that's close to. Ah, okay. But you studied in Zagreb. So yeah. as a chemical pathologist, um, you were you know, you were encountering the war, the war between Serbia and Croatia, as we call it now. Um, you were part of that and you worked in a free hospital emergency uh, for four years and have, you have now specialized on internal medicine. Um, you worked in acute medicine and endocrinology. You're currently specializing, it's not currently chemicality. Yeah, so, so it, like I have done many paths within medicine. Medicine looks like a broad church. So when I studied, I had my visions of working in intensive care and kind of doing that kind of stuff. Uh, and then I worked in um, this pre-hospital emergency thing It in Croatia, uh, at the time, I mean, still now, the doctors are the ones who are on the ambulance, it's not just paramedics. So for ah. four years, I was that. I had a, it was me yeah. and a nurse and a driver, and we were either working in our base or we were going out um, to accidents. Then I specialized in internal medicine in Croatia, and then uh, I used to be married to an Irishman, so I followed him to Ireland. And then yeah. I worked in internal medicine in Ireland and did uh, research in endocrinology and diabetes hmm. and then kind of married all of this together and, and did uh, specialized in chemical pathology which is something that many doctors don't know what it is so it's a it's yeah. a it's a specialty of medicine that bas basically what I do now is I run a biochemistry lab and I oversee near patient testing so all the little devices that you see near the beds that have hmm. to do with testing of stuff or pricks, capillary pricks or something like that. But I also see patients. I do metabolic medicine clinics, which are focused. I have a diabetes clinic and I have a lipid clinic and I used mm -hmm. to run a thyroid clinic, but I'm phasing that one out at the moment because we have somebody who's better than me at that doing it. So what is your eager interest in, in those fields? Because that seems like a zigzag course to my ears. You know, you went there, then you went there and how does it all come together for you? What was it that spiked it? So a lot of it was circumstance. Mm. Uh, so if I had stayed in Croatia, I would probably be an intensivist in a, in a medical uh, intensive care unit. Uh, but because the life threw me around as it did, um, I 
what I thought I wanted when I came to Ireland was that I wanted to be an internal medicine specialist and subspecialize in endocrinology. And that is still a huge love of mine. But at the time, that wasn't too easy. Uh, like, it, no, not that it wasn't too easy. It was very difficult. Mm -hmm. So I, then I heard about this uh, program, about this chemical pathology thing that I had never heard of before. And I went to read uh, in the curriculum what their ideal candidate was and kind of knows medicine, knows diabetes, knows endocrinology, did research across the ideal candidates. So then I tried it out and liked it and that's how I stayed there. So a pathologist, as I understand it, is somebody who detects the root of the cause and then you know that's kind of your you you're like a detective in medicine yeah. yeah so so the detection bit i do is on tests in blood and biochemical tests in blood and this is what really appealed to me when i kind of went in to try the specialty is because it's holistic you don't know everything oh. about just diabetes or just endocrinology or just gastroenter like you need to know how to diagnose everything so suddenly i had to go back to reading things about ways to diagnose diseases that i hadn't dealt with in a long time so i think for me in medicine it was always about looking at a whole picture and the reason i liked endocrinology is because endocrinology is all about balance mm -hmm. and it's all about figuring out what is inappropriately normal so mm -hmm. and so as we are still in the pandemic this is nothing you know when i started this podcast i thought like i have to put out all these pandemic shows but we are still here so we can talk about it how is that affecting your job currently as you're testing blood is that Mm. So it affected it a lot in the beginning. I spent the mm. whole of month of March. I don't think I have studied that much for any exam in my entire life. Like I spent about 19 hours a day and I'm actually not exaggerating. Mm. Uh, working and if not working, reading. See, because we, we were witnessing something unique and yeah. scientifically if you can look at it only with the mind, it was exciting. Because suddenly all those things that we learned in history of medicine, and then Paracelsus described this, and Hippocrates described this for the first time, and Galen described this other thing, and Avicenna, and suddenly we had a totally new disease happening in front of our eyes that mm. nobody has ever seen. Mm. And it was a very scary place because we, as doctors, we are used to operating with the knowledge of the past X thousand years, well, particularly the last three, four hundred, but you are used to things being known. And what we were busy with before the pandemic is looking into the nitty gritty of the physiology, pathophysiology, how does the, how do the cells interact in between themselves? And suddenly we had this massive huge picture thing that nobody knew how it was going to behave so uh yeah. like we didn't know like in the beginning of march when we had the first patient in ireland just to clarify that so <laughs> yeah like it's all one mess it's 2021 <laughs> now in the beginning of march 2020 so the first patient in ireland um was diagnosed the 29th of february like leap year yeah mm -hmm. talk about the leap one and 
and but we didn't know how these people are going to behave like in the beginning mm. of march we didn't know that they will be prone to clots mm. and then by april we knew that they are going to be prone to clots so mm. by end of april say but mm. like it, there were so many things happening at the, at the and it was it was extremely stressful i like i'm not the person that's prone to anxiety at all and i was waking up with those bangs of oh my god what do i have to learn what have i not read what do i need to do how do i get my lab ready what are the tests that were proven in wuhan mm. to predict outcomes do we have all of them happening at this kind of in in routine uh terms there was most we did some we didn't off we went to find them set up, up set them up on our machines verify that they're performing correctly try to see what would be the best predictors it was mental and then in all that uh turmoil um i then i ended up contracting it at the at the 25th of march so then i got an interview <laughs> of, uh, you got an in-house uh, review to to total you know from yes and i remember that you described a deduction the... from the, from the big yes exactly so you um yeah, and i remember you describing it on facebook for people to understand what the experience was in your case and i understand there is always different experiences going on Okay, let's go back. Um, um, you just described that you you got an inside view, an inside of you to COVID. You survived it, and um, I remember you describing it in detail for people to to explain what the experience is. You know, like the way you kind of had to deal with it, and what marked my attention at the time because you are not only a doctor, but you are somebody, as you already proved through your diverse studies, that you are interested in the bigger picture of things. So you kind of ended up learning Ayurveda through me, with me in applicable form. And so what I remember you saying is that the breathing techniques you remember also from the yoga classes you took with me were mainly helpful. And so this is a funny thing how one science kind of supports the other the other and this is how i see our relationship as well anna you know like uh, a lot of people don't see ayurveda as a science even though it says veda as in science and um, it's not being acknowledged broadly as a science but it, there is some some connection there it doesn't mean that we have to fight against each other but yeah you were about to say something there <laughs> Let me hear what you have. Yeah, and 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 you're right. The the Ujjayi breathing I learned from you was really instrumental at the peak of my disease when I really felt really unwell. See the clots I was talking about. I I think now in hindsight that that is what stopped me from breathing. Then that I had two clotting micro clot episodes, but like at the time when I had them, we didn't know. That this could happen in COVID, so then I thought I was panicking because I was coughing and I had I was short of breath and all that. And at the time, we started knowing, like in in anesthesiology, there's this technique. It's called proning. It means putting people on their bellies, 
Mm -hmm. to for them to breathe because you know from yoga and I know from anatomy that mm -hmm. most of the lung is in the back of the lung because diaphragm is like a dome and it's shallower on the front and deeper on the back so on mm -hmm. the back the lung dips so if you breathe if you're on your belly you use more lung and yeah. that is the same principle in ujjayi breathing because in ujjayi mm -hmm. breathing and I have taught it to anybody that would listen at yeah. a time you yeah. basically are learning not to breathe with your belly but with your diaphragm mm. so yeah yeah there there are a lot yeah. of things that that like what i find with ayurveda it's it's an observational medicine and that is how my medicine started like it's not two medicines it's the same medicine it's the same body it's the same like yeah. the the observations you can make are the same Yes. It is how you get into interpreting what is causing them that differs. But Because if you it's can, a different language, obviously, like, like between yoga. I mean, as you said, you know, you're talking from an anatomy perspective, which is how we see it from the yogic point, you know, is done on dead bodies before. You know, anything we learned um, for a good long time about medicine was done through dissecting people and kind of cutting them open and seeing what the brains look like, the lungs and the organs, yeah, but not in action for a very long time. Yeah. But before we did that, we were looking. So before we started getting permission from the church in the West or the yeah. state, it uh -huh. only came in the 18th century we were looking at how the body moved alive because a dead body was no use to us yeah. then. And it was only yeah. with Galileo, like with Renaissance that you started looking at the inside and both are important. Absolutely my point. And um, recently, I'm, uh, recently I feel like we are kind of supporting each other in, in so forms of understanding. I mean, you see, you said what happened to you after you done a lot of studies around the daily rhythms, the, um, the chronobiology stuff that I'm teaching more or less, you know, like what is the rhythm of nature? What is the rhythm of your body? They are in sync if we let them be. So you notice how your conversations with the patients you still see has shifted for you. Can you tell us a little bit about yeah, that? It has. Yeah, so I have been interested in, in chronobiology and the molecular side of it before I started doing the course with you. And then it amazed me how a lot of the things that I was reading about in scientific journals that had to do so each cell has its own clock and those clocks are not all the same. Different cells have activation of their own clocks at different time. And then, I mean, like, you know, but the listeners don't know the way I fell into your teaching was I just needed to, to something to keep me on the kind of straight and narrow because I was trying to get into my own, I don't know, eat less, move more kind of yeah. be healthier and because yeah. we had known each other from before and I had huge respect for you because a lot of people in your world disregard science and disregard my world and behave mm -hmm. as if we were the enemy 
and you weren't that. So that is why I, I basically had enough confidence in you and enough trust to go and, oh, I won't be listening to a lot of mumbo jumbo if I go listening to <laughs> Alex. So no, this is how it started. Like, that's no, exactly how yes. it was. So, so yes, it did. What you were teaching me were observational intervention, lifestyle interventions that were 5,000 years old that totally aligned with what I am, I was teaching up to that point my patients in the for example diabetes clinic yeah because diabetes like we were already saying you know eat less eat less concentrated foods uh, eat more plants well I wasn't putting that much of an emphasis on plants then but I do now mm-hmm. because it's it's all about concepts how you conceptualize things in your life so it was eat less move more but it's all about on one end it's compassion and on other end is how do you transfer the message effectively so i knew before i did your course that you can at best hope for a person to remember three things you tell them that's if you're lucky in any encounter yes and you have to pick one so so doing your course and the whole thing of eat your dinner early uh leave space for you to digest do not so what i would have said before was do not snack at night because that is when Mm -hmm. you are going to accumulate because of the insulin resistance and the liver clocks and all and and now it's kind of eat your dinner early go to bed early get up early move and it is it is simple like I don't so in my practice I don't go further than that I don't go dealing with anything else that I have learned from you but picking one thing and trying to see I guess it was sorry I'm trying to say too many things at the same time (laughs) I know I'm seeing the same all the time but I want to put it out all there but yeah so you're you're saying your the way you communicate with your um clients is in some ways becoming more clear because you learned more practical application of your knowledge is that or is that fetched too far that, it's kind of a different slant what i had yeah. learned from you was so first it's the concept of what we were learning of so these were Again, for those that haven't done Alex's course, the first four <laughs> lessons, eat yes. early dinner, go to bed early, get up uh, uh, early and move. And, yeah. and this was enough. And kind of the way that I learned about habit formation, because I think that is what we do not get taught in medical school. And there is this over emphasis on knowledge and not enough emphasis on how to bring the knowledge about the way that somebody's body is working into practice. But so if knowledge was everything, I would be a skinny triathlon (laughs) competitor. Because like, I know everything there is to know. But the way that what I learned in your course was how to set a small achievable goal, kind of the what is called smart goals, small manageable 
I, I can't. I, I can never remember acronym. Kaizen, but, small but, incremental steps, and the course is called Creating exactly. Space for those who start to wonder to listen. <laughs> Uh, yeah, oh, yeah okay, sorry. Yes, I should have said that to begin with. Uh, so, so how to take a small goal, how to make it happen, how to build on that small habit change, because I, what I think paralyzes, certainly paralyzed me and paralyzes a lot of my patients. So suddenly yeah. they have been living all their life in the way that the West lives. Yes. And just, I mean, they lived their life the way they knew how to live. I and mean, suddenly they are they're given this diagnosis of this invisible disease that is diabetes and they go, or high cholesterol, which is inherited in the bit that I do in my clinic is the inherited one. And suddenly you are, you are dealt with this. You feel no different, nothing hurts. Mm-hmm. And you go Google and you find out your legs can be amputated. You can go on dialysis, your kidneys can fail. And then it depends on Scary. what kind of personality you are. Are you going to get totally scared and obsessed, or are you going to go ah, la 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 la? Not, yeah, give me my drugs. I'm going to do this with the drugs. Yeah. Out. Hmm. And, and drugs are great. Yeah. We need them. Yeah. We absolutely need medicine. Well, I mean, not as in medicines, like not. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> and this is where <laughs> yeah, you know, like least anybody knows there is a doctor advocating drug use and pot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes I, I heard that <laughs> but we know he didn't mean it like that yeah okay yeah yeah no but so so it it is the easy way is to for just me to give the medicines i know which one does what in what mm. sequence to go about them yeah. and just do that first of all People don't take medicines unless they know why they're doing it. And that is well known. Compliance. Most people don't take their medicines as instructed. And there there is a whole behavioral science discipline looking at compliance with medicine taking. So I was explaining what each thing did even before. Mm. But with the small incremental habit changes and with letting them know where does the medicine I give them come in so if I re- there was this one conversation the man came in and his sugar, his diabetes control went all off and he was really depressed when he got in and he was going I was thinking of not coming in because I know I've been checking my sugars they are going through stratospheric you were going to give out to me And I don't think I would have given out to him even before I did the course. But what I learned on my own skin during the course was praise the positive. I mean, we do that anyhow. I mean, but but it was because I learned it on my own skin that it made an impact. So I was going, no, congratulations. And he goes, what? Congratulations for coming in. Yes. If you stayed at home, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So fabulous. You have done the most important thing today. His whole body changed. Mm. Just with that shift in perspective. And then we went through his plan and what he could do and when was he going to bed and when could he incorporate exercise into his life. Now, I am lucky. The way that my clinics work at the moment, I I have some control over my time. Mm. 
So I could give this man 20 minutes. Hmm. A GP, an average GP in Ireland or in Germany or in Croatia has 10 minutes if they're lucky. I have a GP. So I think a lot of listens and listens and listens, to be honest, you know, and as it is. Well, then um, that's brilliant. Yeah. And you can find in Ireland the way here, Anna. Uh, what I'm trying to say here, Anna, is we don't have to put up with people that kind of pull us through. But, um, you know, no matter how you're inclined to live your life by the advice of a doctor or by the advice of natural medicine combined with a doctor, you can find these people. I mean, look at why, why you're on the show and why I have you on the show. Just as an example of noticing that the small things like communication is super important and I'm not uh, saying something revelational here but but I also wanted to stress where we both find that we are struggling to make people aware of is that the small things matter you know and we will be um, yeah. that the small things matter that look like you know oh I'm just doing that oh I just sleep in oh I just you know I just miss my yoga class I miss my sport I miss you know oh I, I I'm just going to be a little bit I don't know, whatever it is, you know, or I'm just going to miss my doctor's appointment, but it could be that appointment that brings conversation into your life and shifts your perspective. Yeah. That's what I wanted to, to highlight here. Sorry no, I totally agree. Hmm. No, sorry, sorry, like if you don't interrupt me, I'll talk until the cows come <laughs> She home. can talk <laughs> until the dawn. I know her so well. Um, that's why I kind of jumped in. And it, it's beautiful how much you have to say. And um, another thing that was the very reason why I brought you on the show, just for you, dear listeners, to know is that Anna just, as she shifted her perspective, as I see her shifting her perspective and really taking these parts of advice as part of her medicine, I saw her also highlighting the importance of rest, which we don't know anymore in these times of fast tracking and instant gratification. Can, can you say a little bit about like resting? What, what's your on take on rest and healing and yeah. So my first huge lesson in the importance of rest and not hoisting your body through was when I was in uh, an intern. There was a young man who had a mild viral infection, like he had a bit of a cough and a bit of a fever and a bit something like no big deal. And because he was a keen runner, he kept running through it. And then he was admitted with a heart that instead of this size was a balloon. Because like, like so for those who are listening to the audio, sorry, maximum two fists together is that the size of the heart, and then she let her hands go really maximum. wide and maximum. You know, like that looked like test size to me that you just indicated. Yeah. So so this guy's heart, and this is what's called dilated cardiomyopathy. So this guy's heart took up most of his chest, like yeah. two thirds of his chest. That's how large it got. And I was shocked, like this is the first time I was seeing this. And the cardiologist was saying, yeah, he shouldn't have run. He got myocarditis. If, so myocarditis is, a vir is an inflammation of the heart. In this case, it was viral. And if this guy had 
slept through his mild viral upper respiratory tract illness, he would have recovered and nothing would have happened. Yeah. But, well, hopefully, not to say it could have gone we wrong anyhow. Know, but but yeah. we don't know. But running certainly didn't help. And this was the way that my teacher was telling me he shouldn't have run. He put extra strain on those inflamed heart cells. And now they just lost their elastic and went from, you know, the fist size to the gallon size. Mm -hmm. And I was just shocked. And this was the moment when I made the decision that whenever I get sick again, I am not pushing through. But more and more was what I learned as life went on is in my life, I was pressurized so many times to come to work ill. And one great effect of the pandemic will be that all those work heroes will be shunned. Like that is going to be one huge shift and I think that as long as the current generation is alive, if somebody comes into a crowded room coughing and spluttering, they'll just get the dirtiest looks ever. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you can't cough on, on the I underground think that's anymore, you know. <laughs> yeah. I think that's great. But I think that this whole, um, this, this, one track thinking of productivity efficiency being above everything mm -hmm. disregards the cyclical way that humans are we need rest we need right. to sleep like there is an amazing correlation between obstructive sleep apnea and diabetes mm. so if you have obstructive sleep apnea, it usually has to do with you carrying more weight, but not everybody who carries weight is good to get it. So you, your kind of airway is, is strangled by your own flesh. Because your sleep is not uh, of good enough quality and you wake up, the following day you're constantly hungry and that is what, that is well known. Then because you're constantly hungry, you're going to put more weight on and it's going to bring you towards diabetes if you have a genetic predisposition to it. So it's all interlinked. And the first thing we're going to do in those people is prescribe them pumps that are going to help them sleep so that they can have enough energy the following day so that they can exercise, they can be less hungry, they can stop overeating and they can start moving into the path into health so like we need to rest we we and then my own COVID thing totally taught me like ever since I was sick like I'm scheduling sleep mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm putting in yes. eight and a half hours and yes. that's it like it's non-negotiable yeah. and this is from a person that spent most of her life on six tops yeah Thank you for pointing that out and uh, because I find that so important and I, you know, I raise my hand here in guilt as much as you, a guilt and shame. We all go through these phases of life where we are challenged and where we find it exciting, the rush of half a bit of sleep and then having to drag yourself into work and, you know, making it to it, it's almost like uh, we are missing these rites of passages. That's what I kind of felt. You know, that, that was a recent conversation I had with somebody 
it's like um, in the olden days or wherever that, whenever that stopped in our cultural background, it hasn't stopped in all the, you know, in all the cultures. There was a marking day when there was a marking date or a time into adulthood where the, the boys would be challenged, where the girls would be challenged and they had to go through a rite of passage, which was quite, you know, adrenaline pumping thing. And once they ticked off that list, they felt more in gear to be just who they were, like adults that take responsible about their sleep, about their food, about raising, about, you know, whatever it needed to be, they took place in society. Since we don't have these rituals anymore, these kind of student nights, and I don't know what it, and some people carry it forth into old age, you know, they become the missed rite of passage in my <laughs> in my kind of um, sense of understanding it. So sleep is important and not that kind of sleep you do in the day, the napping here and there, but the, what Anna said, the continuous sleep of good night's sleep. Oh yeah, and um, how, and there is different way you can engage with that. And if you're ever interested to, to learn that practically, I welcome you to do my shorter course that's coming out next year in, February 2021 on, you know, getting into bed so that you can sleep and getting up so that you can start the day. Everything we touched upon with Anna just now as a keystone to avoiding diabetes, eventually avoiding like uh, heart diseases, anything that comes along, it's so hidden in us, we can't see it and still our intuitive mind knows it. So Anna, before we part, thank you very much for giving so much light um, to this subject on a really scientific basis. Uh, what is your last word to our listeners? What do you want to say to people right now? Do I get seven last words? <laughs> you can say seven last words, you know, like what, what, they, what, what is it yeah. you want no, to be no. like? Yes, I, I think us? that what what we do need to really wake up to is the necessity of observing and respecting the interplay between our own rhythms and the rhythms of the planet and keeping the health for as long as we can. When but without it being a pressure of a function of something. I think there's a, too much emphasis on health is in order to be pretty, in order to be productive, in order to, I don't know, whatever, achieve some other goal. I think it would be great if we taught all of this in school because hmm. how about just learning how to be healthy in order to be happy. I know that American constitution yeah. may be the most optimistic bit, you know, you know, they have the right to pursuit of happiness, but like, why not? So, and also like my medicine, I know a lot of people who listen to you would be more of the naturopathic kind, like my medicine yeah. is not the enemy. We are here to help. Yeah, and that's definitely what I feel, you know, you might have felt yourself in a situation where you were happy. If, if I think back, you know, I haven't 
encountered so much medicine but more and more lately you know but if i hadn't had the aspirin or the paracetamol for one occasion which comes from research which comes from that part of us you know i would have kind of suffered more than i wanted to so we all engage with it yeah i i do agree and i don't think that people in my world <laughs> or my listeners are totally natural parts maybe with an emphasis on wanting to be seen on that level as well and that's where i feel like we have to stop fighting each other we have to just kind of know how to to join hands you know and stop pointing fingers as you said you know like you you came to my course because you knew i would kind of make space for everybody to live and that's what i see from both yeah. sides that's what we have to do you know yeah well, thank you and uh, for your time, Anna, and thank you, dear listener, for joining us in this conversation. If you have questions for Anna, I'm sure we find a channel so that you communicate, can communicate with her, or if you have interest in learning those habits, the concept of Kaizen, please look into the show notes. Everything is presented there. If you enjoy listening to my podcast, please consider to become a patron at patreon.com slash Alexandra Kreis and pledge your donation.